0: welcome everyone to seek go create this is your host Tim Winders this is where we redefine success in leadership business and in ministry and we're gonna have some fun conversations today I'll get to our guest in just a moment but I want to continue asking you just one quick favor here before uh, before you do anything else before you uh, I guess, listen in or listen in and then jump to do this, but I've actually just finished up my first novel and I would love for you to go check it out. And you can do that at seekgocreate.com forward slash book or timwinders.com forward slash book. We'll have links down in the notes, but uh, go check it out. Depending on when you're listening in, depending on when you're hearing this, you will at least be able to go download chapter one And uh, check things out there and if it's after the release of the book you'll be able to get the book at that link so uh, so I'm excited to have you read it and check it out again it is a novel something I did not think I would be writing as my uh, as my debut book but it is a novel that is titled coach and uh, it is a story of success redefined so go check it out I encourage you to do that and uh, I look forward to getting feedback from you. I appreciate it very much. With that, let's get started today. I have, I have someone that I've been excited to talk about, and we're going to have fun with it. We're going to have fun with the conversation. I have Ken Cladoris as our guest today. Ken is a partner and president of Platinum Wealth Group. He is a wealth advisor that is focused in areas such as 1031 Exchanges. He has also developed a course which we're going to talk about stillness, to success. Let me repeat that. Stillness to success. And he's written a book called Get There. They were created as tools to help individuals discover the clarity they need to design their future. Ken, welcome to Seek, Go Create.
1: Hey, Tim. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here today.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you're here. And uh, so many things in that intro. And listen, you had a lot more to your bio that we could have read. I wanted to try to keep it a little bit short to Get started yeah. here, but uh, but first thing I love to do, and I gave you a little bit of warning on this, and uh, I saw that you're into yachting and you're you know part of the Balboa Yacht Club and things like that. But we're just out and about, and we bump into each other, and I say, Ken, uh, tell me what do you do? Or we're just uh, chit chatting, and I ask you what you do. What do you typically tell people? What is your elevator pitch, or what do you tell people?
1: Yeah. So when it comes to, I guess the environment that I'm in. It kind of changes because I do have two very separate businesses, uh, so we'll stick to the course side because the finance business is pretty self-explanatory, right? We do 1031 exchange real estate. So, but on the course, really, what I do is I I help people gain mental clarity through meditation, so that they can have the success they want in life.
0: Excellent. Now, there's a few questions that I have, and and I actually want to have some discussion about the uh, about the business and and uh, I've got a background in real estate and things like that, but which came first for you? Was it your business and your success you had there, or was it learning the stillness and meditation that then led to that? Was there one that uh, kind of came into your life before the other?
1: Yeah, so I started in the finance space and I've been uh, in the industry for over a decade now, which is hard to believe. Um, but that's where I started and that just, you know, slowly just niche down into the 1031 exchange specific space for alternative investments. Mm-hmm. So that's how we got to that.
0: Okay, good. Cause I, cause one of the things that I want to find out is many times people look for, I don't want to say alternative ways of doing things, maybe improve the way they do things, maybe do it better. And sometimes that's because they're facing some challenges. Sometimes they just have this desire, um, I guess maybe here's a good spot to ask you know when you were uh, going along in your uh, you know financial business and then you decided that you needed to do something different I think you started doing meditation and things was there a catalyst for you Uh, were you I don't want to say struggling but maybe were you struggling was there anything you were going through that kind of forced you to look at doing things differently
1: yes I mean that's a great question and So the short answer is obviously like there was, I call it my epiphany moment. A lot of people have like their rock bottom moment, right? Where they're like, oh my God, I need to change. And for me, it was the opposite. So in my finance like advisory business, I'd already had the success I expected. Um, You know, was working for myself and on a team, making six figures and having the freedom to do what I wanted to do when I wanted to do it. So I had gotten to a level where I felt. I'd plateaued actually. And like my daily life was the same and I was living a routine and I figured this was kind of like my ceiling and I wasn't going to ever do anything different. And so that was kind of how my life was going for years. And then I was sitting in the Cayman islands actually, and we just kind of sitting on the patio, nothing to do all day, having coffee in the morning. And this just wave of calmness and clarity just like washed over me and literally all of my thoughts of like what i could achieve all the demands of my life everything just went away and i was just sitting there completely vulnerable and like free Mm -hmm. and i was like oh my god this is an incredible feeling and that lasted you know for like the day uh and the vacation was over and i came home and all the demands of life and running a business and you know having family and everything else just piled right back on. And I was like, Oh my God, I need to get back to that place. I know it exists because I've been there. So I got to figure out how to get there. Uh, And that started me on my meditation and self-development journey.
0: So a lot of people would say, well, of course you were relaxed and chill. You were sitting in the Cayman Islands, you know, I mean, so, you know, a lot of people will claim that there's a location, there's an atmosphere, there's an environment, I think what I'm hearing you say, and I can appreciate it, is you wanted to be in that mental state, that mental place, wherever you were physically, correct?
1: Exactly. Right. It wasn't the where I was physically. It was the internal dialogue and all of the beliefs that I held about myself
0: yeah. that were
1: washed away. And I realized I could do more.
0: Right. And I could do it in
1: a way that I felt happy and fulfilled.
0: Would you consider yourself, or are you like a... A high-stress guy I don't know if type a I don't know what personality you know we could put a lot of names on it because you seem kind of low-key and I don't know if you were low-key before or after I mean I'm I'm kind of a little bit more higher energy and so what would you say you were prior to that time
1: yeah so I'm definitely a high achiever um, right but My life then was a lot of stress, anxiety, and I actually had a little bit of OCD. So literally I was trying to control every aspect of my life to the point where it was like unlivable. And so I actually take it as a compliment today when people are like, oh, you look so low key or so relaxed, you just have this presence. I'm like, yeah, that took a lot of work. That wasn't what I was like, you know, prior.
0: So had I been around you, had I talked to you, how, how many years ago was this? When were you in the Caymans? How far, how long ago was that? It's been five years. Five years. Okay. So had we had a conversation six years ago, would, and I'm, an, I'm going to throw some things out and you can say, Tim, no, that's not me. Or you can say, yeah, it could be me because I, I'm fishing for something and I'll tell you where I'm going after we after we talk about it more because because I'm really trying to spread a wide net to show how I believe that this concept really impacts more people than they think it does. And so, so I really, I really want to do that work on high achiever. I love the thought of that because I believe a lot of listeners would consider themselves, if not a higher achiever, striving for high achievement, you know, financial or business or entrepreneur, whatever they're, whatever world they're in. And so would, would you have been, uh, I don't want to say nervousy. You mentioned, you know, control and stress. Would you have been patient, knowing that you're about to be doing a one-hour interview with someone? Would you be a little bit more high-strung? Uh, give me a little bit more personality straight, personality traits, so that so that we can understand the the difference between Ken six years ago and Ken now.
1: Yeah. Um, so without knowing exactly what you're where you're trying to go, but I'll. Answer the question. Um, you yeah, answer, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I would have wanted to known almost the whole script before having the conversation. Because I needed to make sure I wasn't going to say the right thing. It had to be perfect. I didn't want surprise questions. Like, it had to be very orderly and controlled. Interesting. Whereas today, right, like, I'm answering this question, and I have no idea where we're going. Right? Yeah. And it's I'm... like... Yeah. Having that that, ability just to go with the flow is something that I've learned through, through meditation.
0: And so most people don't understand. I don't really, we don't give questions because first of all, sometimes I don't know what they are myself. So it's hard to do that in advance. I've got a few, I've got a list of them, but I've already started writing things down that wasn't written down when we first started the conversation. So I, I think that is so powerful that you brought that up, Ken, because that's kind of where I want to go. And that's that word control that you brought up. Because Mm. I've noticed that about myself. I mean, I'm an engineer, business guy, you know, family guy, all that kind of stuff. And up until around 2008, I made attempts to control most things in my life. Now, here's the, I think here's the real dichotomy or the humor or whatever you want to call in that I probably really didn't control that much. Looking back, do you really think you controlled as much as you think you did? Definitely not. (laughs) But you were good. I mean, it looked like you did, right? If you looked around where you, there's a term I use a lot. It's called thou shalt not fool thyself. Do you think you were able to fool yourself into thinking you were in control? Or did you really know you weren't?
1: Well, I don't think I knew that I wasn't. I didn't have that much awareness. I would say that because I was so stressed about trying to control everything, it became this vicious cycle of stressing about things you're worrying about, then worrying about the stuff and then stressing about it and then being anxious, then doing it and then starting all over again.
0: Yeah, it's, that is a vicious cycle. And the reason I bring all this up is that being in the role I'm in as a coach and someone who works with executives and leadership teams, I've observed that stress is probably the killer of all killers in our world today and I'm not I mean we could say that it kills physically I think eventually it does but it also just impacts so many things I think our health and uh, those things and and the word that goes with stress is control that we're trying to control our situation control all that's around us and I'm getting to be an age now. I believe I'm a good bit older than you. That I'm recognizing that I control very little, <laughs> and so, and and really, there's just a certain degree of release that comes with that. And um, did you? And I'm I'm digging I'm digging more here because this is I think where we get value and learning. We've got high achiever, someone who's very successful financially, all of a sudden has an epiphany. Were you, did you have any mental, I don't want to say mental health issues, but I think it's okay for everybody to talk about that now. It used to not be, but I mean, was there any other clues that you had other than when you sat on that balcony? I mean, were you, you know, were you watching some things with your health? Were you... You know, is there any clues in relationships? And the reason I want to dig into this, Ken, is because I think everyone is dealing with certain degrees of this, and it's why they've got to tap into some of the courses and the things you're talking about. So I'm really digging. So I apologize, but I don't, okay? You're good. Good. Um,
1: I would say that, again, I didn't have that much self-awareness, so I wasn't aware. Mm -hmm. But what I'd say is that looking back, I had created so many barriers and uh, defense mechanisms Mm. to keep people at a distance so they couldn't get to know that I was trying to control everything and didn't want to be vulnerable. Yeah, And so I put myself in a situation where no one would even notice. right? And then for Mm. myself, I felt like I was fine because I could control everything about what people noticed about me, what they saw, and try to control every aspect of that.
0: Interesting. So give me, give me, tell me what some of those might be, because I'm sitting here thinking about myself and I know what they would be for me because I didn't like for anyone to see me bleed. You know, I don't, I don't want to see anybody to see me kind of in a frazzled state, um, even though at times I was. And, uh, and so, but I would really present a pretty strong facade that probably was pretty emotionless with others, what were some of the ones for you that you, were those mechanisms that you used to kind of not let anybody have clues about what was really going on with Ken?
1: Yeah. So being that I was already having a lot of success is easy to hide behind that. Yeah. Right? So you could be like, oh, I have to go do this work thing, or I'm going to this. And uh, it made it very easy to just push everything onto that side of my life hmm. and not let anybody see anything else. So... Hmm. I would just spend a lot of time working, doing things like that. Never felt that I could ask people for help, never could be vulnerable, Um, right? Never sad, like everything was, we're doing great. This is awesome. Life is awesome. Like, couldn't be better. And then, you know, just go out and like, I would go out a lot and like go to happy hour and hang out with people and like do the social thing, uh, which just, you know, especially now in like the Instagram world, right? Or, Or social world, like if you just post that kind of stuff all the time Mm -hmm. people assume like everything's awesome because you're like oh my god that person's living the dream not knowing like that's just one aspect of it
0: yeah and and I, i think one of the things that i noticed myself is that i would not typically show anything that wasn't good that was going on and so Anyway, that that was interesting. So let's talk. I, I, I'm going to come back to all of that because I think that's value. And I want to talk about some of the specific things you've done and the power of that stillness, that word still being still and quiet. But uh, let's talk a little bit about business, because I think I think our audience would love to hear even, you know, before and how you formed up, I mean, you know, 1031 exchanges, those have been around for a long time. I've got a background in real estate and all myself, but let's go backwards and let's talk a little bit about Ken's business journey and kind of how you ended up in that. And then, and then I'll go ahead and give you a clue as to where I'm going. I want to talk about a contrast between the way you do business now and the way you did business six plus years ago, because I want to, uh, I, there's a lot of people that would say, well, he's probably not doing as well uh, because he's not you know, part of the hustle and all that. But I, anyway, I bet, I, bet that's, I bet we'll learn some things there. So back up, tell us how Ken came to be in this world of finance. And I looked, you've got, you've got a lot of registrations that, that are by your name and things like that. And uh, how does one end up into that, in that field?
1: Yeah. Well, before I do that, something you said was very interesting to me. And I had dinner with a friend over the weekend who I hadn't seen in about six months. And she was talking to people at the table and she's like, oh, I know you're hustling, blah, blah, blah. But how do you look so comfortable doing it? (laughs) And I'm like, it's because I'm not trying to control it. I'm just going with the flow. Like, it's all going to work out. I know what I'm doing. Like, it's going to be okay. I don't have to stress about it. Yeah. So when you mentioned that, right, the hustle, like everybody has this idea that it has to look hard, but it can be easy.
0: Um, yeah so yeah exactly well, well I'm going to come back to that because there's there's some things that really bother me about what we call the hustle culture and yeah. I'm not talking about not working hard that's not what I'm talking about but I think that's probably something that I'm going to have you teach some people and work with them on as we finish up the podcast so but uh but right now let's back up go to how how'd you get into this what were, what were you like growing up and uh you know what was the path that you had set for yourself
1: yeah, so my path was, well, and when it comes to work, was pretty straightforward. Uh, growing up, one of my uncles was a very successful advisor, and had the lifestyle that I wanted. So I was like, okay, I'm gonna do that. Mm. You know, like it's pretty clear. So I would say that, you know, went to undergrad and studied finance. When I graduated, I was still talking to my uncle, and he was like, go work at my broker dealer, learn the back office, go get an MBA. And then like, we'll start, you know, transitioning my practice to you. And that right. was kind of the trajectory that I thought I was going to have.
0: So that was, uh, hold on a second. So that was your uncle. Um, what about your parents? What business were they in? Obviously it was a, possibly a different line of work, but yeah. what was their background?
1: Uh, we actually owned a construction company.
0: Oh, okay. So you had business, so, so you were, yeah. so, but, but, and there's one other question I've got to dig a little bit here something about the way that uncle did business impressed you not so much the construction business but the advisor business what was it where I mean do you do you think that was your personality trait or was it something that you just dug the financial aspect of it the the, the results of it
1: I think it's a few things um, I was obviously closer to the construction side because it was my mm-hmm. family's mm-hmm. so you see the ups and downs and yeah. all the struggle Whereas when it's your uncle's business, you really don't see the bad stuff. You're just like, you see the results, right? So yeah. it looked better. Uh, and then additionally, I just have a natural inclination towards numbers and money. So it was a natural fit for me to to do that.
0: Good. So, so it was a good fit for as far as, yep. uh, the the reason I bring it up is a lot of people will look at the bright, shiny object of the finance or something like that, the, the results of the money and they'll go after yeah. it. But it sounds like you had a leaning towards it anyway. So, all right, so you go down that path uh, yeah. and, and did you move into his business or, uh, or did you go another route?
1: So that is where I would say my first business struggle occurred. Uh, mm-hmm. So while I was in grad school, my family had a separation and no one talked to each other. Mm-hmm. So my uncle basically never talked to me again. Um, so I was like, okay, do I go do this myself or do I try to do something else? And I decided to do it myself and build a practice myself. So, oh, wow. Got on a team, learned a lot, went to an independent team where I was, uh, I had some early success luckily or with hard work. Uh, and then the corporate noticed and I got promoted to branch manager and then eventually OSJ which for those that don't know, means basically I was supervising financial advisors and I was the youngest person in the office. So that was interesting for a while. And at that time we were doing all finance. So, you know, retirement planning, 401ks, IRAs, and then normal investments and alternatives. And then one of the reps that I worked with, who is actually a close friend and now my business partner, we decided that we were doing too much and we could be more successful if we focused on like the top 20 percent and so we created our own group platinum wealth group and solely focused on the 1031 exchange part of our business and have just watched that flourish over the last few years
0: yeah that's a that's a pretty interesting niche and so i'm going to ask you to do something right now that might help some of the listeners and that is do a. Do kind of a quick 101 or basic what a 1031 exchange is. And uh, and I, I love how much you niche down. I mean, we always talk about this in business. That is, instead of just spreading your nets wide to niche down. And boy, you guys did a, did a great niche down there. So just so that we're not glazing over something quick, tell people what that is. And, uh, and again, give it to us in language so that people can understand. And then I actually might have some questions about, uh, about that that I'd love to ask and maybe even what we see the future because there's been some discussion about uh, what that might look like. And we always hear rumblings of different things going on from tax standpoints and all. So give us an overview of it. What is 1031 Exchanges?
1: Yeah, so a 1031 Exchange sounds complicated, but it's actually pretty simple. Basically, it's a mechanism for you to sell real estate that you hold for investment, purchase another piece of real estate, and defer all of your tax. So at the highest level, that's what it is. You just sell a piece of real estate, do the 1031 exchange, buy more real estate, and you defer all of your tax, which is a great great way to build wealth.
0: Yeah, I used to love the thought of just, you just kind of roll the taxes. You roll them, you just keep it going. That, That may not be a technical term, but yeah. that was always the way that I uh I looked at it. So um yeah. so uh but before we kind of come up, we're not gonna spend a lot of time on 1031 exchanges, but um so so obviously uh, a lot of people have used that mechanism to build wealth and to defer taxes. But uh but talk a little bit about the pros and cons or the challenges um that some people face when they try to to do that, they obviously can't do it themselves. You need a custodian and things like that. And obviously it looks like your company has, has stepped in and really helped out there. But just, just give kind of the good, the bad, maybe and some of the things that people may not recognize or realize about 1031 exchanges.
1: Yeah, so it's interesting because I feel like I had the same conversation regarding 1031 exchanges all the time. So yeah. I can give you just those quick answers. Sure, go uh, quick,
0: rattle them off. Yeah.
1: The easiest thing to know is Uh, the biggest question we get is if I sell my real estate for a million dollars, but I have half a million dollars in debt, half a million dollars hits my exchange. So I only have to buy half a million dollars in real estate. And that is wrong. And that is the biggest mistake most people make. It's Mm. whatever you relinquish the property for is what you have to replace. Mm. And that creates a little bit of challenge because you only have 45 days to identify what you're gonna purchase. So within that time, you have to find something equal to or greater than the value that you sold and be willing to put like all of your eggs in that basket. Because after that 45 days, if anything goes wrong in due diligence and you don't close, you have to pay the tax. So I guess that's where our niche comes in. So our niche specifically is we actually offer a security that qualifies as a replacement property. So for most of our clients, right? They've already built their wealth in real estate. And now they just want to have more of a lifestyle investment, receive income every month and not have to worry about anything. And that's what we provide them.
0: Mm. So the good thing about that, one of the things that I used to see a lot of challenges that kind of would nag at me about 1031 exchanges is I would see some people, especially people that were kind of doing them, I'll say on their own, so to speak, that they would have a property that they would sell. They obviously would have some uh, a time limit that they were under. And I would see them make some pretty poor decisions with that next property that they acquired. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was like they did such a good job with that first property. It did well, they profited, all of that. They wanted to defer the taxes. And then they would in, get in a rush and buy this second property or whatever, whatever it was in the line. Yeah. And, and being an investor myself, I would be going, huh, seems like they're, being, they're forcing themselves to make some decisions. Sounds like you guys, with the security in place that you've got, may have uh, helped alleviate that issue. Would that be a, a correct way of saying that?
1: Um, a little bit. So you still have those individuals and investors that wanna be able to control every aspect, back to control. Yeah. Control every aspect of it. Um, <laughs> And for them, it's really not an option. Um, but for the investor that's like, hey, look, I've made my money. I want to spend time with my family now or travel or whatever it is that they want to do. Right. But I don't want to pay this tax. Right. It's a great option for them to be able to sell their headache real estate and just turn it into money box mail, uh, mailbox money.
0: Nice. Okay. Very good. I see that. So yeah. I, I did. There was one thing that I did not want to leave before we get too far away from it. But you had mentioned that at kind of a interesting time in your career, that there was some changes that occurred in the family. You didn't go into the uncle's business. And the the thing I wanted to ask you, and you could kind of see we've got a theme developing here, is you were probably, because I could relate to this, you probably thought you had your career sort of laid out for you. And then there was a change there which with someone who has a high um, control, sometimes that could impact a lot of things. Uh, Do you recall what all was going through your head at that point when you kind of thought the path was laid out, you had it under control, it was all good, you know, you had it probably all written down and everything like that, and then Ken, all of a sudden, you know, sounds like out of your control, you know the family may have just had a little falling out or decided you know they didn't want to interact as much or something like that which that happens a lot in families what went on with the control guy that ken is during that time
1: yeah um so i was definitely couldn't control that situation i was shocked um
0: Uh.
1: and especially i did have it written out i knew how much like i knew the next five and ten year goals and like how much money i was going to make and what i was going to do and then it all just stopped in an instant. Right. Um, so definitely, like I said, I spent a lot of time trying to figure out, is this something I still want to pursue? Right. And I had just graduated from grad school and like, it was a rough time for the markets. And I was like, is this really a good career? And like mm. spent a lot of time just in reflection, I guess, of is this something I still want to do? And then I got to the point where was like, you know what? I have a passion for it. I just finished schooling for it. I've built this, you know, launching pad for a career. Like, I have to see where it goes. Yeah. Good. But I can tell you that then I had no idea what I'd be doing today because that wasn't even in the realm of, like, what I was thinking of.
0: Yeah. and On the finance and, side. And so on the finance side, and it's like, uh, it's real interesting how you've narrowed down to the 1031 exchanges. Would you say that was how intentional, was there a little bit of luck involved? Was it just something that y'all stumbled into? You found out you were good at it and so you kept going down the path. What What was the journey to the, the great niche that you guys have right now?
1: Yeah, so we always focused on alternatives and this falls under the alternative bucket. Um, and of those, this was the one that we, my partner and I related to the most. Like we could understand it you could underwrite it, uh, and things like that. So it was like, okay, this is a great tool to help people. We believed in it. And I think if you believe in what you're selling, it's just a lot easier to sell and like people want to work with you. So that's how we niche down to specifically doing this.
0: Do you still within your, um, within your practice, do you still have some of the other things or are you guys all focused in the uh, 1031 area now?
1: So I would we have some legacy clients, And then if our exchange clients call and say, will you help us with this? We will. Mm. Um, But yeah, the only thing we market or talk about in general is the
0: 1031. I see. I see. All right. So there's, and this is, this is really something that I do not have a lot of research on, but there was some discussion not too long ago, just, you know, every time Congress gets together, they start talking about this and that. Did I dream it or did I hear some discussion about possibly adjusting some of the 1031 exchange rules and, and regulations related to it? Or is that a total dream that I had?
1: No, that was it was a real nightmare. Uh-
0: <laughs> oh, boy. All right. So tell, tell tell us about what's going on and if there's any changes that we see or if it's just it was just some rumbling that was coming out of Washington. <laughs> Yeah, well,
1: I think right now you just have to assume that anything coming out of Washington could happen. Um, yeah, so, but they are contemplating and discussing limiting the gain that you could defer to half a million dollars. Mm. Um, which I think would really hurt the industry in general. And there's a lot of secondary effects to real estate not moving for the local municipalities and for their tax base. So if that were to happen, these larger assets, and again, I think the average 1031 exchange size is like $2 million for the property. Mm. So we're not talking about these huge mega corporations doing it, right? It's mostly the business owner that owns his building or somebody that's acquired a few rental properties as they've moved up and they kept their previous properties. And that's who really uses them. And so if these buildings don't move, that's really going to slow down the already low inventory that we have in the country.
0: Mm, so, so what would that do for your business? I'm sure you put some thought into it. Sorry to, uh, you know, bring up something here, but I mean, that would, that would probably have some impact, correct?
1: It would definitely have a negative impact on my business. Yeah. But since it's outside of my control, all Good. I can do is tell people to uh, right? let, Their elected officials know that they want to keep the 1031 exchange. There's resources out there, write letters. And then I continue to help people every day until something changes.
0: Well, and, you know, let's go ahead and call it like it is. And this is not a one side of the political aisle or other. I believe that we're going to see governments doing quite a bit to (laughs) capture revenue. (laughs) Might be the best way of saying it in the not too distant future. And I believe it's national it's state. It's going to be local. They are all going to be looking to get revenue. And because they have been spending money quite aggressively and they need to. So, uh, you know, if, if you're involved with cryptocurrency, they're coming after that too. If you're involved with real estate, they're probably going to be doing things there. They're probably eyeing some of these self-directed uh, plans and 401ks, all of that. So I don't think it's anything new. I think it's just something we're going to have to deal with. And I love what you said as much as it's tough for us to admit this, it's out of our control. Can we let them know? Yes, but uh, it is out of our control. So, um, so there's one other thing, kind of a sidebar item, before we go into the uh, more what you've done with the course and how that's developed and how you moved into teaching and training uh, this, uh, this the stillness and things that you have. And I, I read that you really are into boating is uh, some things that came up and a lot of the analogies and stories and teaching and things you do. I think you use those as kind of some teaching points. So tell me about your background in boating and how that came to be and how it relates to high control, Ken, and maybe chill, relax, Ken, and uh, how all that fits together.
1: Yeah. So I've had boats or been a, you know around boats my entire life. Um, so with that, but it was always, are you a
0: California guy? Are you, did you grow up in California? Okay.
1: Yeah. Southern California. Okay. So always on boats, love them, love being on the water. There's a, there's a freeing aspect that comes to me from like, just being in that expansiveness of the ocean or a lake or whatever it may be. Um, so with that, I'd always have power boats and, the time that i you know, started to meditate, I was like, you know, it'd be kind of fun to learn how to sail. I always see sailboats in the harbor. That looks like a lot of fun, something interesting. So I'm going to learn how to do that. And so at that time, again, I was learning to meditate and doing my self journey. I decided to write my book and was starting to sail all at the same time. Uh, mm. So it was a natural fit that learning how to sail, which At first I was like, oh, this can be super easy. It's a boat. Right. But then I started taking the classes and everything. I'm like, this is actually much harder than I expected. Right. Like, cause in a power boat, you can just pick the destination and drive to it. In a sailboat, you can't do that. Right. You have to like, okay, here's where I want to go, but this is where the wind's allowing me to go. What do I have to do to get there as fast as I can and using like mother nature and going with the flow. And so it was just a natural fit. Cause I was again, writing my book and learning the sail. So I was like, oh, this is exactly like this and this like that. And I think it makes it a lot better now because just real world examples of something that everybody like at least kind of understands with the idea of my book of like really getting there and understanding what it is you want and how to get there.
0: Yeah. One thing that's so interesting to me and we I've had a powerboat, never have done a lot of sailing, but again, it's more personality. And I love how you said this happened kind of at that, pivotal or epiphany time in your life because you know you get in a powerboat you just fire up that engine you point it and you steer it and you go and there's a certain degree of control that you have even if you're on the open water I used to do a lot of boating in, in lakes and things like that but I, I love what you said that you know with sailing you pretty much relinquish a fair amount of control. You have to kind of work and respond to what's going on instead of controlling. I mean, you you can't control the wind, right?
1: Exactly. You know, and and, uh, one thing that was interesting is while I was learning to sail over one of the weekends, I was going over a hundred miles an hour in a boat. And then literally the next day I was going two knots in a sailboat. And it was just this vast difference. And Uh. again, I think it's my life. Right. I'm a high achiever, but I'm also relaxed. Right? It's like I move fast, but I'm very methodical and like take time to understand why I'm moving before I do, and I still have a boat that would go 100 miles an hour, and I have a sailboat. So, I get both sides of it.
0: <laughs> but I, I, I love the kind of the 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 whole relinquishing control i mean because that's really what my journey's been all about too is that mine's more of a spiritual standpoint from a not necessarily meditation but just quiet time with the lord and allowing the lord to kind of lead and guide me and because really i thought i was all that we had our businesses our companies seven figure companies and then 08 hit and all of that was gone and i literally thought i had control and i realized i had nothing And so it was a really humbling thing to really recognize that I'm not, I don't say I'm not that big of a deal, but I'm just not that in control. And that is such a freeing thing. I'm guessing that sailing is like that also. I've never done it, but tell me and the listener a little bit about what sailing is relating to this whole freedom being free uh, process.
1: Yeah. So you're definitely relinquishing all control, Mm -hmm. you know, you're dependent on wind to move. Um, and so there's something very peaceful though, about getting into the ocean, right? You turn the engine off, the sails are up. You can just hear the flow of the water against the hull, Right. And you're just more in tune with nature and just that moment. And it really puts you into that, into the moment, right. You're super present and, Everything else just kind of goes away. And even when I take people on the boat that don't sail, if they're just sitting on the boat and you go out there and right, put the sails up and we're just cruising along, everybody kind of experiences that same peacefulness where they're like, oh my God, I want to do this all the time. Like, this is so freeing. It's I'm out of the chaos of the everyday world, right? All the demands are gone. Your phone probably doesn't work. Right. And you're just sitting there, nothing to do. No, like you're not going anywhere fast, just relax into the moment and just be one with nature.
0: Mm. And so it's so, so intriguing to me. So you started sailing about the time that you kind of started this journey of meditation and quietness and still, uh, all of that kind of started around the same time. Is that what you said? Yeah. And so wh- why? What provoked you to sail? Did, was it really you thought this could be a learning experience? This is part of my development or you just thought it seemed cool? I mean, what what was... I mean, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm fascinated by people that have made changes. And so to me, it seems like five years ago, you started on the balcony at the Cayman Islands, but there was just like a lot that went on with Ken then. And so um, the sailing started then also, huh?
1: Yeah. And I started my practice with my business partner at the same time too. All ah, three things are just major shifts.
0: So, because ah, well, I'd really,
1: like I said, I'd experienced... Such an insight right on that patio that I was like, I need to change my life. I need to change the environment I'm going home to and like what I'm doing. And I had talked about starting my own practice with my partner. Right. He'd already talked about it. So I'm like, let's do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the book, same thing. I talked about it for a while. I'm like, okay, I'm going to start writing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then sailing again, it was just like something new to to learn and just to grow and have different experience and change my normal daily routine yeah so in the first I think year and a half, I sailed 200 hours. Wow. Like <laughs> uh, that's what I did on like that was my free time. I went sailing, right? So sailing in the harbor, racing, I did the Newports Ensenada yacht race. Like I was sailing as much as I could then. So
0: And you so you dove, you you definitely dove into it uh, um, a good bit. So so during this time, you you're going through all of this uh i'll go back to the word you used epiphany and at what point along the way did you say you brought up the book just a second ago At what point did you say i'm going to write a book and then we'll get to the course and all in just a moment but at what point did all of this come because listen a lot of people they they go through situations and they go okay this is really beneficial it's working well for me that's one level but then there's this other level where you start telling people and sharing it with other people. I mean, I'm a guy who has a podcast, so, you know, obviously I'm aware of this and the irony of it, but, but at what point did you look in the mirror or you say, you know what? I need to share this with other people. What did that process? What did those steps look like?
1: Yeah. So interesting enough, I would say that the book was for me, ah. not for the audience. And by what I mean by that is, because I had talked about it before, right? Other people were like, oh, you should write a book. You should do this, like, about your topic. And I'm like, I'm not going to hire a ghostwriter to write a book on finance. Like, that's miserable. And I have no interest in doing that, right? Um, but then as I was, again, trying to grow as a person, it became this challenge for me of, like, could I actually write a book? And so, like, the book was an achievement for me, right? It benefited the reader. And, like, I think it's got great stories. But really it was for myself to prove that I could do it. Right. Because there were so many people. And even today when I talk to people, a lot of them like, oh I wish I could write a book, or you know, I have this idea for a book and they never do it. Whereas I get to say, I actually wrote the book that I intended to. Right. So it come down to achievement.
0: Mm. Yeah, so it was all about all right, so was that um I mean because it sounds like you had a lot of stuff going on you started a new practice you started some new things that you were doing you know for your mental state and you did you spent 200 hours out on the water you uh you started a book i mean was all this right around the same time or give us a little bit of the timeline so i could kind of grasp what's going on here because i've just finished writing a book and let me tell you i know that there's some work involved with it so Talk about the rhythm of how you got to that and when you started the book process.
1: So everything was about at the same time. You probably <laughs> you, wouldn't recommend you just, that for High people. achiever
0: all at the same time. Yeah. Bam.
1: <laughs> I was like, I could do it all. It'll be fine. Um,
0: <laughs> How'd that work out? It worked out fine, right? Well,
1: I mean, it actually, at the end of the day, like it's all good. Um, but I would say that it would ebb and flow on like demands of the day. And what I mean by that is there was a strong six months where I wrote every single day and like I was in my rhythm, mm-hmm. but then work picked up and I was like, Ooh, got out of it. Right. Cause I needed to focus on that more. And then I'd come back to the book and get back into that rhythm,
0: Yeah. but
1: they were always moving forward together. It was just how much attention would we get.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And because That's I was, I, I make everything a routine. So that way I know it gets done. Mm-hmm. Um, sailing was the escape from that routine.
0: Ah, right. I so was
1: achieving a lot on the book and the practice side, and I was using the sailing at the same level to balance, if you will, my life.
0: What's your, what's your writing rhythm? Do you do that early, late? Do you do it whenever you could squeeze time in or you, you seem like a, uh, a pretty, I don't want to say rigid schedule guy, but my guess is, is you probably wrote it roughly the same time most, most days, correct?
1: Yep. So my more, I mean, I have the same morning schedule basically every day. Okay. Um, and when I was writing, it was wake up, meditate, do my journaling, my morning practices, and then jump right into writing.
0: Ah. Uh, so how, how much writing did you do most days? What was your ideal light day? Were you an hour, two, three? The reason I ask is that I've just finished doing some writing myself and I'm, I'm intrigued by this.
1: So at a minimum, I would make myself write for an hour mm. um, because I didn't want to get out of the habit of writing or being like, oh, I want to write for 20 minutes. Okay. So I was like, okay, I'm going to write for an hour. If that's just brainstorming, that's fine. But I'm going to sit here for an hour. Sure. If I got into flow during it and I wrote longer, that was fine. But it was at least an hour.
0: Right. Now, one of the things you mentioned was that you learned a lot or the book was kind of for you or you learned a lot about yourself or something to that effect, I think is what you said. Mm -hmm. I, I do like to ask that question because I do think at times that books are not about other people. They're more about us because you sat for long periods of time. You sat for an hour a day, at least sometimes longer. You wrote, you were putting words on paper. And when I went through that process, I really, I started recognizing things about myself that I never knew. What did you learn about yourself during that writing process?
1: Yeah. So I wouldn't have identified as a writer prior to writing a book. Interesting, because as a finance person, right, it's like, okay, I got I do the numbers, the spreadsheets, like, this is what I do, I'm the numbers guy. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'd always kind of thought that writing wasn't something I could do. But then once you realize, like, oh, I just have to spend time doing it. And I could write like, it became natural. Now I write all the time. Right. So I would say that's one of the things that I limited myself to thinking that because I was finance, I was numbers. So I couldn't write. And then I realized through the process, Like I can
0: write. That's good. And you know what? It's kind of, for me, it's a muscle like working out or sailing or something like that. I think there's just this muscle that once we decide uh, to work it, then, uh, well, you know, it just starts working out. So, all right. One thing that I have not done is I haven't been able to review or take a look at the book. So give us a little overview of what the book is, what it's about. We'll let people know where they can go get it as we wrap up here, but tell us a little bit about the book. And then I want to leave time, uh, before we begin wrapping up here about uh, the course you have. So tell us about the book.
1: Yeah. So the book is my initial, idea of what people needed to be successful in finance specifically within finance but the exercises that i run people through are now part of the course is like an overall life so Mm -hmm. basically it's understanding you know what your future looks like in your mind what you want it to be what retirement looks like um why you haven't saved in the past and doing some reflection and then building out a plan to understand like okay this is where i am today this is how much i need in the future so this is what I gotta do in the meantime.
0: Okay, good. So it so it was, so the book, and maybe I was a little confused, the book is really geared towards that financial health arena, correct?
1: So it's, I start what I, basically I teach what I do. And I, like in my life, it's all about, okay, what what's my vision? And that's the book, first chapter. I jump right in, like, what is your vision for your life? And then we kind of build around that to say, okay, like, how do we get you to that vision? From a financial aspect right so
0: i see very good well i love the thought of that vision because to me it leads to some questions that i had about some things you did with the stillness course and things like that because you talk about that what it does that what with meditation and other things it helps people gain clarity and one of the things that i've observed ken is that there are so many people that struggle with clarity i think previous to covid starting like you know january of 2020 there were people that probably had some clarity issues but it seems as if they are thinking more about it now than they were before would you agree or disagree with that is that an is that a, an assessment that you're seeing in your circles
1: yeah i'd agree with that right yeah. i think people could stay busy before yeah. to not have the self-awareness to understand, right? They didn't have clarity because like there are so many demands all the time that you're just too busy to even see that.
0: Yeah, so. and, I, and I think some of the demands, I mean, I could hold up my phone here for those people watching video. I mean, we are hyper-connected right yeah. now. And, and there's a word that you use that really drew me to wanting to have this conversation and it's the word stillness where did that word stillness come from and how did it become like the title to your course? And 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 obviously a, a word that plays quite a bit in your vernacular and all the stuff that you do. So talk to us about the word stillness. Yeah,
1: so as I mentioned, like I did a lot of meditation and did a lot of retreats and spent years and a ton of money just doing this self-awareness and well, at first I thought meditation was great in itself, right? 20 minutes a day, twice a day, told everybody like this will change your life and wholeheartedly believe that to this day. Um, but then two years ago, I guess it's three years now with COVID. Sorry, get that COVID year. Um, I did a weekend or five days in silence mm. and that just was, the most incredible experience to have just mental stillness and release all of the thoughts and stuff that still come into your daily life and those demands. So at that like day three of my journey, I was like, oh my God, like this is incredible. And I've never been the same person since then. And uh, the amount of mental stillness and clarity and quiet in my life stays with me all the time. And so that's where that stillness comes from because it's more than People think meditation and they're like, oh, I sit for 20 minutes and that's not going to have any benefit. Right. But sitting with yourself is even harder for people to do. And so uh, spending five days with myself and my thoughts and then creating that stillness around my physical and mental was just life changing.
0: So a lot of people see to me. I mean, I'll, I'll say that there's, you know, there's an aspect of prayer. There's an aspect of just spending time in quiet. There's obviously meditation. Some people maybe merge some of those together. But see, this to me is something that's huge, Ken, because I, I have been talking, not with the clarity that you're talking about, but I know myself, I've got just at times too much going on and I need to shut down things. I'm trying to you know, have days where I don't have phones and stuff like that. And I know that leaders that I work with, they're not taking enough time, quiet time, just stopping and pausing to think. I mean, we, we could bring the meditation in, but I'm just talking about people thinking and yeah. pausing. You did it for five days. You know, years ago, I um, I grew up in Conyers, Georgia, just outside of Atlanta. We had a monastery there where there was, uh, I think, one of the few Trappist monks' uh, monastery. And when they came to there, to that monastery, they would have like silence for long periods of time. I don't know exactly how long, And I was always just amazed by that because that wasn't exactly the way I was wired, but I love the thought of it. So, so talk to us about, um, the course because I mean, is it, does, do you teach that? Is it something that you promote? Is it, uh, is it like meditation to the 10th degree? Talk to us about the stillness to success course because this is fascinating to me because it's all, it's all about what I have been thinking about for now years, knowing how noisy the world is around us.
1: And I would say that's how the course came about. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the feedback from the book was people couldn't answer the questions because they hadn't thought about it and don't have time or clarity oh. to do it. So I was like, okay, if I could teach meditation to start, so people can gain mental clarity and then ask them, okay, what are your values? What is your vision? Like, what does that look like? What is fulfillment and happiness in your life? They can start to hear their answers and that's how it came together. Right? So it's more explanation and a little deeper dive, if you will, into the mm-hmm. stillness of meditation and then being able to hear your answers for what your life should look like to you. Right. Cause I can't define success for you. Only you can. So that's how the course came about. But I also, you know, if I look ahead, we're definitely going to be hosting silent retreats because I think that's very beneficial. But if I sat here on your podcast today telling your audience, hey, you should spend a week in silence with me. I don't think we're going to get that much uh, reaction. Right. (laughs) But if I'm like, hey, I want to teach you how to meditate for 20 minutes. okay, maybe we'll get some buy in.
0: So a little, so, little bit of a gateway drug in into actual stillness and actual being at peace and quiet. I mean, yeah. I I love the thought of it. You know, and listen, there the the whole meditation is extremely popular now. Um, you know, for those in spiritual circles, prayer and things like that. Um, but I agree. I mean, twenty minutes is still pretty small and in the grand scope of kind of how we're, you know, how we live our lives every day. So I, um, I love the thought of it. So in, in the few minutes that we have left here, I'm going to ask you to do a couple of things um, and, and we'll get to how people can get to the course and all later. Mm-hmm. And, and I agree that if you probably say, Hey, go spend five days with me and let's just sit in silence. That's probably not uh, necessarily, it might. I don't know. We're we're in a world where a lot of people might really dig that, but um, but give people just some pointers. Let's just say someone has never heard this, or they're like going, "What? Spend a day in silence? I can't spend three minutes in silence." Um, give people just some pointers on maybe getting started, or just kind of getting rolling, or or just dipping their toes in, so they know a little bit more about what this is about. And then we'll finish up here in just a few moments and let people know how they can get the full the full course and all of that so that they can uh, get more details.
1: Yeah, so most people that I talk to don't think they can meditate and they have numerous reasons why, right? To your point, I can't sit still for three minutes, or right? Um, so for those individuals, right? They have this, people have this misnomer that when you meditate, you're not gonna have thoughts. I'm like, you understand you're a human being, you're gonna have thoughts. It's about directing the thought and just being at peace. And so what I found is if you just sit comfortably, again, I don't teach any crazy poses where you're uncomfortable trying to you know, bend in weird ways. Like you just sit on a chair uh, and then just follow your breath in and out, just like a natural rhythm. Don't try to control your breathing and then just follow that for as long as you can And then go on, right? Because it slows everything down in your body physically and mentally when you just follow your breath at a normal rhythm. And that's a great way to be like, okay, I feel the benefits and then go on to like learning an actual meditation practice, whether that's a breathing technique, concentration, or a mantra. So what I teach is a mantra based meditation. So you just repeat the same mantra. That's based on where you were born and the time of day. Uh, and you repeat that to yourself and that helps you have a centering thought so that you can slip into the moments where you have no thought, Mm. which is like the ultimate stillness.
0: So, all right. So I know what is going through some people's minds. There are some people sitting here saying, well, I've got kids. I can't quiet things down. There's just so much going on and, and I'm going to keep going because you actually just said that it's possible to have no thoughts and i can almost guarantee that a lot of people listening don't believe that so kind of and i don't know if you could convince i'm not asking you to pitch or anything like that but but can you really get to a place in with all that's going on in our world to where you have no thoughts
1: so i can answer that in one word
0: yes (laughs) <laughs> well okay um, a little bit more all right? so yeah, get, yeah expand uh, on that
1: <laughs> yeah so i experience no thought every day and if, for your women in the audience it's not because i'm a male and men don't right. think um,
0: <laughs> good thanks for clearing that up sure that would, yeah. we would we would we've gotten a lot of letters and all on that <laughs> right
1: um so you once you develop that muscle and that habit you can have that clarity and they call it slipping into the gap And that's again the time between between thoughts and you can experience that over and over again where there's actually no thought um and it's easier than most people you know expect you just got to get i used to when i was at an office every day i would meditate in my car during my lunch break because there was too many distractions Mm -hmm. right so i just go park that was my 20 minutes in my back seat i just kind of hang out and meditate and most people have this misnomer that they can't find 20 minutes. I'm, I'm sure if it's really important to you and you start to see the benefits, you can kind of make the 20 minutes and you'll find a way to, to do it. And I think once you experience that clarity and that stillness and how it affects the rest of your day, you almost become hooked.
0: Hmm. And in so. and, and the hook on it, I, I see I love the thought of it. Is that I could see so much value, in, and I don't think I, I could have seen that value years ago. I could see so much value in being quiet for hours. I, I'm, I'm still struggling a little bit with the days at a time, but I could definitely see benefit for hours, maybe even days at a time. And really just tapping into, I mean, for me, it's a little bit of a spiritual type thing. I would love the thought of just connecting with my creator in more ways like that. And maybe some people that's what they're looking for. Some people might just be, they just need to be still and have no thoughts. I love the thought of that. So uh, thanks well, for sharing. If I, throw on,
1: I just want yeah. to throw in on one thing because yeah, when I went into my f- first week of silence, cause now it's become like an annual thing for me. Yeah. Um, I had those same thoughts, right? I have a family, business, all these constraints. Like how could I unplug and not have speak to anybody for five days? Yeah. Right? Like that's not possible. Um, and I think that's how most people go into it. But at a certain point, you realize like whatever those demands were that you thought were too much, go away. Mm. And so for some people, it's day one. For me, it was day three, of my first year and other people. Right. It's like the last day. But at the end of it, you know, I was with a group of 150 people. Everybody had very like. Again, I like the word epiphany, right? This very epiphany moments of healing and just understanding. And like you come out a different person and then you become like, oh my God, like this is an incredible thing. Like all those demands and things that I think I need to do are just thoughts.
0: Mm. So, and, and another thing, and this is maybe my final question or pretty close to it is my guess is that you are better at those things that you should be doing. You mentioned family, you mentioned, you know, if if one's a parent or business person, my guess is, is when you gain that clarity, when you've, when you've been still, that you are better at what you were doing before that. Is that a correct statement?
1: 100%. So it has accelerated my success in so many ways and again that's why the course is called stillness to success because as you develop it you really understand what success is and you can just attack it faster and in a way that's more useful because you understand what you're doing yeah you know in my week in silence i would say most of the people there were high achievers right head of surgery brain surgeons attorneys like we were all super high achievers that on a daily basis have a lot of stress and this is a great way to like replug, replenish our muscles, our mind, and have clarity to go back with a sharper mind to have creative problem solutions and things like that.
0: Yeah, do you get any comments from people around you, friends, family, whatever, partners, that said, wow, Ken, you sure do seem different. Uh, What are some of the comments that you get after you do something like that for five days?
1: Yeah, so all of those. Definitely, Mm -hmm. in general, I'm pretty calm though now. Cause I meditate every day as like my mental normal practice, but it definitely, right. Especially recently with COVID, like there's a lot of buildup of just tension and stress Yeah, and it just releases all of that. And you just come back so much clearer, more understanding. I'm a much more compassionate person after a week in silence than I am like, you know, six days before I go in. Um, Cause in general, you're just like a better person. You're happier. You're more fulfilled. And Again, those repeating thoughts in your head that are telling you everything you need to do, they go away.
0: Mm. Well, very, very cool, Ken. I love the thought. I love the, um, uh, and, and I'm going to definitely check some things out. How can the listener get more information? Go ahead in, and verbally, tell them. We'll put some links and all down in the notes and everything. But how can they get more information either on your book or the course, wherever you want to send people? And then I've got one or two final questions before we wrap up and uh, finish.
1: Yeah. Uh, so the best way to go is go to stillness2success.com and that'll actually link everybody to a free resource we put together on some benefits of meditation, as well as some epiphanies that I had during my week of silence, just to give people more understanding on that. And then for the book and the course, you can go to kencladoras.com and it's all linked there, as well as the, uh, the foundations that I support because I give back, uh, become another big thing through my meditation practice is giving back to the causes that are important to me. So you can look at the uh, the charities that I'm currently supporting on kencladoras.com.
0: Yeah, that's, that's excellent. We'll make sure we have notes down here. So final question I'd like to ask, I prepped you a little bit for this. We are seek, go, create, those three words. Which one of those words resonates, jumps out at you more than the other two and why? That's my final question.
1: So I've been thinking about it in the back of my head and it's definitely seek. And the reason why is when you seek yourself, everything else comes to you because how you show up and what you put out is what you get. So when it comes to creating something, if you know what it is, because you seeked it out within you, what you want to create, you can, and you'll have the motivation to go. And so if you seek within,
0: yeah, yep. I like that, and there's a reason that they're in that order too. So thanks for sharing that, Ken. Mm-hmm. Man, I've enjoyed this. I knew that word stillness was going to really trigger some things for us. I'm so glad we were able to have this conversation, and you let me kind of dig and ask a lot of things about your uh, the use used to need a high high level of control. And anyway, this is uh, this has been very helpful. I appreciate it. If you have listened in. And you've enjoyed this episode I'm sure that you have I'm hopeful that you have please share this if uh, if you're listening in on one of the podcast channels or on YouTube it's pretty easy to share there just share it with someone there if you uh, if you're listening in somewhere else uh, maybe on one of our socials then you could share it real easily there we are currently on Twitter and we're on Facebook and we're on LinkedIn and we're also on Instagram all of those you could share us very easily there And then a final share is if you can't find another way to do it, just take a screenshot and uh, just text someone that might really need to hear this. I know, you know, people that need to learn how to gain clarity, how to be still, how to hear the message that Ken shared with us, because uh, I think that it's important for many people, if not everyone to, uh, to be able to get better at this skill and at this that uh, that we talked about today so thanks for listening i appreciate it new episodes every monday until next time continue being all that you were created to be